38 states force minors to involve their parents in their abortion decisions. But for many teens, that's not really an option. And they have to either leave the state for care or ask a judge to waive the notification mandate. In season one of Choiceless, we spoke to Tina Hester of Jane's Due Process. She helps young people in Texas navigate the judicial bypass process so they can get an abortion without telling their parents. Season four of Choiceless comes out next week, and it focuses entirely on teen sex, abortion, and the law. We'll look at where these laws come from and who's behind them. We'll hear from people who've left their home states for abortion care to sidestep these laws, and other folks like Tina who help teenagers as they prepare to argue before a judge and prove they're mature enough to have an abortion without telling their parents. Starting Monday, September 10th, we'll be posting a new episode every day throughout the week. We thought it would be great to start out the new school year with this season of Choiceless, get you all involved in the conversation. We want to know, if you're a young person, who do you talk to about sex? Where do you get your information? How is sex ed at your school? Or if you're just remembering what it was like for you, we'd love to hear it. And we'd love to hear what advice you have for young people navigating these conversations now. To get you caught up a little bit on these laws before next week, we thought you'd like to hear this story with Tina Hester from 2016. Here it is. I have had an abortion uh, when I was in my mid-20s, and it was uh, obviously a, a very different experience for me. I was living in D.C., went to my private OBGYN. My health insurance paid for it. I did not have to cross the picket line or see pictures or have people harangue me. And so I got more interested in the work, uh, just seeing what, what women had to go through in either Kentucky or Texas or wherever I was living. This is Choiceless, a storytelling podcast from Rewire Radio about reproductive injustice and the laws that put people in choiceless situations. I'm Jen Stanley, senior staff reporter at Rewire and the host of this podcast. In each episode, I talk with someone about their experiences with reproductive injustice, and the stories are varied, as there are many obstacles to accessing reproductive health care in the United States, including high financial burden, family pressure, religious obligation, clinic protesters, shame and stigma, just to name a few. But even if one can get past those barriers, many states' laws are so restrictive that for some, it's near impossible to get an abortion in their home state. As of 2015, 27 states in the U.S. had four or more abortion restrictions. 18 of those states had between 6 and 10 restrictions, according to the Guttmacher Institute. Texas is one of those 18 states, which Guttmacher labels extremely hostile to abortion. And it's come to the forefront of the U.S. abortion debate, in part because of the Supreme Court case, Whole Woman's Health versus Hellerstedt, which could determine the future of abortion access for people across the country. Earlier in the season, we heard from Candace and Valerie about how Texas's restrictive abortion laws force them both out of the state for their procedures. Today's episode rounds out our coverage of Texas for season one. We'll hear from someone who helps some of Texas's most vulnerable citizens in their struggle to gain reproductive autonomy. Pregnant minors who, for whatever reason, don't feel like they can involve a parent in their decision to have an abortion. 38 states have some kind of parental involvement law on the books regarding abortion. They vary in intensity. Some need both parents. Some need a signed, notarized consent form. Some do not. 
states allow some kind of judicial bypass, meaning the minor can ask a judge to waive the parental involvement requirement if she can prove she's mature enough to make the decision on her own, or if she can prove that it would be in her best interest not to tell a parent. That's where today's storyteller comes in. My name is Tina Hester. I'm the executive director of a small legal services group called Jane's Due Process. I'm originally from Lubbock, Texas, which is up in the Panhandle, and I currently live in Austin, Texas. As the executive director, it sounds very important when you say executive director, but really it's a two-person staff. Uh, We have a part-time legal uh, director, and I have a part-time assistant, uh, office assistant. But basically, we're a a, a nonprofit uh, of volunteer attorneys and hotline volunteers. Uh, We uh, ensure free legal representation for pregnant minors in Texas. And uh, our services are are many, but the majority of our calls for our 24-7 hotline are for uh, young women who are seeking to terminate a pregnancy and can't find or don't want to involve a parent in that decision. It was founded in um, when Governor Bush, the second Governor Bush, W., uh, when he uh, signed the first parental notification law in 1999, then a group of attorneys realized that, you know, it was a very daunting task for young women to go to a courthouse and get an application and go through the process of a judicial bypass. And so they put together a group of attorneys across the state and hired a part-time coordinator uh, who was actually an ACLU employee to begin with. And uh, since then, uh, we now have uh, hundreds of trained attorneys across the state who help minors. Most of the calls we get, I mean, it's interesting. A lot of people say, oh, there's going to be these terribly sad cases. And there are some, are some really terribly sad cases. But a lot of the young women who call our hotline are ambitious, and they want to graduate, and they want to go to college, and they have already have a college scholarship. And by God, they want to get out of the situation they're in. So there's kind of a mixture. I mean, I, I've had phone calls from uh, well-to-do young women from private schools, and I've had phone calls from uh, homeless girls. I probably have spoken to more young women who've wanted to terminate a pregnancy and can't involve a parent than anybody else in Texas right now. But there's one story in particular that really has broke my heart, and um, it was a young woman who lived about an hour outside of Austin. She's 17. But she seemed, her personality seemed so muted, and she seemed so tired when she called the hotline. She already had one disabled child and uh, had spent months in the, uh, the NICU unit, and, and um, the child had to have constant breathing machine. And uh, she was petrified that the, the home visiting nurses that the state was paying for to come to her dilapidated home would not be able to clean the stoma and make sure that that her child didn't suffocate. And um, so she had no transportation. Her her living situation was that um, her mother had kicked her out, and that may have been due to the first pregnancy. I don't think she ever knew her father. And um, the she was living with her boyfriend and her boyfriend's mother, who did not want her there. And um, it was obvious from what she told me about their relationship that she had such little support and her boyfriend didn't seem to be around much. So I don't know if he had other girlfriends or what was going on, but he didn't seem to be really in the picture as, as well. But there, there were, when I went to pick her up, you know, walked up the stairs and said, can I use the restroom? Cause we're about to make a long trip. And um, 
I went by the room where her child was and, and went in and introduced myself to the visiting nurses that were there. And, you know, it's got to be hard to have strangers in your house coming in and out of your house all the time, particularly when it's not really even your house, not knowing whether your uh, boyfriend's mother is going to ask you to leave at some point. And um, so I went to pick her up to go take her to court, and she had never been to Austin, Texas, and she lived an hour outside of here. It was interesting that she... She wanted to stop early on and get lunch and was about to buy a bunch of junk food. And I said, you know, let's just wait a few minutes. You know, can you wait 30 minutes and we'll really have a full meal. And she agreed to do that. But, you know, she just I think she was just happy in many ways just to get out of the house because it was so it was so depressing there. And um, just it kind of lifted her mood a little bit. I mean, she just to be in Austin for a day. So I drove her around the campus. I went over and took her to Schlotsky's, which is one of our favorite places, and get, got her lunch. And just, one, it's almost like I wanted to give her away, just one day of, of respite from the childcare that she was, she was already in, involved in. Uh, took her to the, the courthouse. She worked with one of our veteran attorneys. We, we want to make sure in those kinds of cases that we have a really well-trained attorney working with those clients. She got the bypass granted. Um, our legal intern uh, took her, drove her, was to drive her back and meet at the Walmart where her boyfriend's mother and boyfriend were to pick her up. They didn't show up. They just left her there. And so my intern said, what do I do? And I said, well, you just can't leave her at the Walmart. So you just need to go ahead and drive her all the way back or stay with her, one or the other. And, you know, an hour later, they, they her they show up. And this is, I want to say, this is traumatizing for this young woman. She's leaving her baby at home, and yet she has no support. And um, she realized she just couldn't do it. And she she had ambivalent feelings, like a lot of people do. And um, it wasn't clear cut for her, but she, she realized that there's no way that she could take care of another baby. And she was unwilling to consider adoption. Her boyfriend was to take her back to the clinic for the procedure and I did talk to her as she drove up and she was crying about what she was about to have to do. She was upset about, as often people are, about having to make this tough choice. And I said, you know, it's up to you. You don't have to do this. You have the bypass. It doesn't require you to have the termination, but it allows, it grants you the opportunity and you're going to have to make the decision as to what you want to do. It's just one of those things that I always wonder what happened to her. Um, you know, who knows? Uh, if, if there was, it seemed like there was drug dealing going on in the house. There seemed like some domestic violence going on. Um, you know, I did talk to her a little bit about trying to find a safe place to live, but she couldn't really because there's no place she could go with her disabled child. I feel discouraged when the young women seem so downtrodden like no one has ever asked them their own personal opinion what they want what they want for their life they've always been told to do something from their parents or from their church or whatever so um those are some sad cases where they're just ambivalent they they, you know some girls call and they're not sure if they want what they want to do because they don't have really see a future for themselves and those are sad cases um we had a minor recently who just was a, the best client we've ever had. Um, 
she was the first in her family to speak English. Her family is from Central America. She takes care of her younger siblings. She was doing an internship uh, uh, at a major company. Uh, she was on a full ride at a private school due to her own initiative. And, um, yeah, those, those kinds of cases. And yet the judge decided that she wasn't mature enough. Or we had one judge who said, well, if you can't talk to your parents, that shows you're immature. It's kind of like, you know, catch 22, like circular. <laughs> A judge's personal views can often affect the outcome of the minor's case. Each minor is appointed a guardian ad litem in addition to a lawyer. The guardian ad litem is supposed to help investigate what solutions would be in the best interest of the child. Tina says that as the state of Texas is becoming more hostile to abortion rights, so are many of the judges and guardian ad litems. We've had a whole lot more judges uh, who recently have appointed um, guardian ad litems who are active with a crisis pregnancy center, uh, have tried to talk the young women out of having the abortion. That's not really the role of the guardian ad litem. It's to be representing the interest of the minor, uh, not to you know not to force their their religious views on the minor, but um, some of the judges have appointed, we had one judge that appointed a Catholic priest as the guardian ad litem. What they end up having to do is either carry the pregnancy to term or go out of state. Tina says one of the hardest things about her job is not knowing what happens to the girls they help. Extremely hard because you get attached to them and you think, oh my God, are they okay? And um, well, they're teenagers. And so they just want to deal with that one crisis and move on. And, you know, maybe later, I mean, we've had letters come to us saying, um, I remember one letter in particular, the woman wrote and said, um, she lived out of state, and she said, you helped my uh, niece with a judicial bypass, and I want you to know that she has uh, graduated, she is a Montessori teacher, and she's about to have her first child. And none of that would have, none of that would have happened had you not been there. We have one attorney, when she takes a minor to court, she says, I want you to send me a high school graduation notice. And, you know, the girls just kind of look at her blankly like, you know, my mother would find out. And she said, no, I don't, I'm not going to come. I just want you to I want you to send me a graduation notice so that I know that you really pursued your dreams and you've graduated from high school. And so, I mean, sometimes, you know, sometimes you don't. And, and we uh, we purposely don't um, don't ask anything from our minors because we want them to know that we're just there for them when they need us right then. Um, you know, I, you, their little piece of stays with you, but you, you know, you can't, can't keep it all or you would drown and, and, and worry. So, um, I don't really know how you let go particularly, but you know, the next case moves along. It may just be that this sort of ever flowing river of, of need, uh, and that you just have to let the water Roll on down, because there's no way to, to, to dam it up. Nine out of ten young women involve a parent in this decision. And it's a big decision. And it's just a small fraction who don't. I think most of the girls that could tell their parents don't call us. You know, I don't, I think that the, the, the people who call us are the ones who really need us. There are rarely cases, but there are a few cases in which we would um, suggest that the minor involve a parent. And I would, I would talk to young women about, you know, your parents may be much more understanding than you think they are. And um, while they may have said, you know, 
something to you in the past, if they've talked to you about being on birth control, they probably knew you were sexually active and they don't want you to be pregnant. And um, obviously they want you to graduate from high school. And, you know, if there's a way, maybe have a cousin go with you or your favorite aunt or your sister and talk to them and then then go to your parents. I think for me, uh, I didn't tell my parents about uh, the termination for many years. And I think having grown up in a small West Texas town, uh, Lubbock, where there's a there's a church almost like on every other corner. Um, I was embarrassed about my decision. And then finally, I realized there's a lot of us out there and that we're being quiet about it and we need to speak up. You know, if one in three women have had abortion, I have a lot of uh, comrades who've had abortions, right? We need to tell our stories so that, that people can understand that it's not a cut and dry issue. For more information on Jane's Due Process, visit their website at janesdueprocess.org. This episode was produced by me, Jen Stanley, for Rewire Radio, with editorial oversight by Mark Folletti, our director of multimedia. Jody Jacobson is our editor-in-chief. Brady Swenson is our director of technology. Music for today's episode is by Doug Helsel. Special thanks to all the staff at Rewire. For more on this story, including an op-ed by Tina Hester, and more information on parental involvement laws, please visit our website at rewire.news choiceless. Thanks for listening.